the whole mess. I'm so sorry we're having technical difficulties this morning. Anyway, that was great. Thank you so much. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as I come before you in prayer this morning, I'm asking that you would just help me to share this message. We want to lift you up, Lord Jesus. We want to declare to the whole world that you're the Savior. The Lord has been born. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I just have to begin this joke this morning. I have to begin, I have to tell this story. Now you can tell that a lady came up with this one and you'll find out in just a moment why. But a lady came up with this particular story. According to the Alaska Fishing Game, according to the Alaska Fishing Game, both male and female reindeer grow antlers. Did you know that? Both male and female reindeer grow antlers. Now sometime in November, sometime in November, the start of the winter, the male, uh, the male reindeer, they discard their antlers. Female reindeer keep their antlers until the springtime. Now this means that all of uh, Santa's reindeer, from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer to Blitzen, were female. They were females. That's right. And, and this lady goes on to say, quote, we should have known that only women could drag a fat man wearing a red suit all around the world all night and not get lost. Amen? <laughs> Amen, ladies? <laughs> I figured you liked that one. It's not about Santa, right? We know that. It's not about Santa. And it's not about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. In our particular passage of Scripture this morning, I'd invite you to turn there if you're not there. And I'd invite you to pull out those message notes. In Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we, we read that an angel of the Lord shows up in Nazareth. An angel of the Lord shows up in Nazareth. Now, for those of you who do not know the biblical background of Nazareth, Nazareth was a little podunk place smaller than Long Creek, smaller than Long Creek. About 200 or so people lived in Nazareth, this small little out-of-the-way place. And we read that the angel of the Lord revealed himself to Mary. Most of those individuals were farmers. They were eking out an existence, scratching out a living. And as I said, roughly 200 people lived there, and they tended animals in this obscure village. Now, this made a perfect place because it was up in the uh, northern part, up in the foothills, and it made a perfect place for a Roman garrison to be placed there uh, to overlook the large, what we call the Jezreel Valley north of Jerusalem. Now, soldiers in a small community with nothing to do can be trouble. Isn't that true? Soldiers in a small community can be trouble. Uh, I had a pastor friend a number of years ago that pastored in the, the Church of the Nazarene in 29 Palms in California, which is near Palm Springs, California. And uh, it was a, it's a small desert community with a large military base. He told me that he had to move, quote, 
It was no place to raise teenage daughters. That's what he said. The Jewish people uh, of Nazareth had gained a reputation for immorality, perhaps because of their regular contact with these Gentile Roman soldiers, and they had picked up some bad habits. In fact, later on, when Nathaniel, the prophet, heard that Jesus grew up in, in Nazareth, he curled his lips and he said in a very derogatory and sarcastic manner, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, imagine an angel, an angel of God, appears in Nazareth and appears to this young virgin by the name of Mary. And in this podunk place, and I want you to get the picture here, he appeared before her and he tells her the most incredible news in the whole world. Look at verses 30 and 31 with me. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And notice Mary's response in verse 34. But how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? This morning I want to talk about a number of things that the angel revealed to Mary. And the first thing I want you to notice is the holy mystery of Christ's birth. The holy mystery of Christ's birth. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, a corollary passage, it says, She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some background here. Did you know that Hebrew parents arranged marriages back in those days? They would sit down with one another and they would drop a contract, a formal contract. And uh, usually when the girl was about 12 years of age and the boy was 13 of years of age, they drew up his contract, the age of consent, and they entered into a binding contract called a betrothal, betrothal, which was a lot more binding than engagements today. They were husband and wife in every respect during this betrothal period, except they were to live with their respective families and get to know their uh, families-to-be and refrain from having sexual intimacy with one another. If either one of them engaged in some sort of sexual intimacy with another person, it was considered adultery and divorce followed and even death by stoning. And that's why we read in Scripture that when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he had two options. He could reveal it and publicly have her stoned to death or he could marry her, quickly divorce her and drop her off at a latter a distant village, and that's what he had chosen to do when an angel revealed himself to Joseph. Now, it's interesting because in verse, 20, in verse 27 of our text, it mentions the word virgin twice. Twice. In Greek, it is the word parthenos, which means innocent, chaste, no sexual relations whatsoever. Now, back in Isaiah chapter 6, 750 years before Jesus was actually born, we read in Scripture that there was a prophecy given that the virgin would be with child and the child would be from God. Virgin. The Hebrew word means innocent. It means chaste, no sexual relations. But the angel of the Lord said to Mary, you will be with child child. 
you're going to become pregnant. And I want you to notice Mary's response again in verse 34. He, she said, how will this be? How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. There's that word again, um, virgin. And, and um, it means to be chaste, having no sexual relations. The little, little Greek reads, how will this be since I have never known a man or had sexual relations with one. Now, when it comes to the idea of the virgin birth, the world often laughs. They make fun of. They often say, what a medieval concept or idea. And yet we've read throughout the Old Testament that the virgin birth was predicted, and 750 years later, an angel appears before Mary, and Mary asks the question, how can I be the mother of God's son because I am a virgin? This is an important question. Larry King, a number of years ago, said on one of his programs, he was asked the question, if you could interview anyone, who would you interview? And he said, anyone in history. And he said, I would like to interview Jesus Christ. And the question was asked, why would you like to interview Jesus Christ? And he said, to find out if the virgin birth was really true, because it would make a world of difference to me. And that's the understanding of the world. They often scoff and they laugh. But I want to tell you this morning that the scripture teaches that the idea of the virgin birth is foundational. It is central to the Christian faith because of what Jesus Christ did and what God the Father did and, and uh, how his birth came out. There is a mystery. There is a mystery to the virgin birth. And it's very difficult to understand sometimes. Notice verse 35 with me. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the Most High will overshadow you. A virgin teenager, impregnated miraculously by God's presence, will conceive a male child, God's own son, in her womb. The child would be human, human in every respect, but he would not have a human father. His father would be God Almighty. And the world often laughs at this idea of the virgin birth. How can this be, Mary asked. And I want you to notice the angel answer, verse 37. For nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Church, this is the holy mystery of the virgin birth. The mystery of the virgin birth. <laughs> Listen. The mystery of the virgin birth does not depend does not depend upon your belief or my belief for it to be validated it doesn't depend upon your belief or my belief for the validation of that happening someone said years ago i don't understand a lot of things for example i don't understand how a brown cow can eat green grass and make white milk and produce yellow cheese i don't understand that I don't understand how a windshield wiper works. I don't understand how electricity works. Vance Havner wrote a number of years ago, I don't understand electricity, but I'm not going to sit around in the dark until I do. I'm not going to sit around in the dark until I do. God is not bound by the laws that he created. If we believe in the Bible, and if we believe in Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and he created the earth out of nothing, 
and he breathed into the nostrils and life in a man out of dust and out of dirt and out of clay. If we can get past Genesis 1.1, then we can get past the virgin birth. God created something out of nothing. And he implanted his seed, his offspring, his son in Mary's womb. He was 100% God and 100% man, a divine mystery. Um, and there's always critics and there's always those individuals who say, I don't believe this. And I want to say, if you do not believe in the virgin birth, then your God is too small. Your God is too small. And your biblical understanding is shallow. Because this is what the Bible says. I'm so sorry that I have to say that, but it's shallow because it's true. The second thing I want you to notice this morning, not only the holy majesty of his birth, but also the rescuing ministry of his birth. The rescuing ministry of Jesus' birth. And I want you to look at... Um, Flip over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And I want you to look at verses um, 8 through 11 with me. And I want you to notice, notice the saving ministry of Jesus' birth. The angels revealed the saving ministry of Jesus' birth. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And notice, there's an angel. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, notice, do not be afraid, because I bring you good news of great joy <laughs> that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. A Savior has been born for you. I want you to notice the rescuing ministry of Christ's birth. The Bible indicates there were all sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I was born in a sin. You were born in a sin. Billy Graham's a sinner. The Pope's a sinner. We've all sinned, the Bible said, and we've all fallen short of, short of the glory of God. And we need a Savior. We need a Savior. And the Bible indicates that Adam and Eve became slaves to sin and Satan. And then his, this has been passed on from one generation to another generation, but to another generation. But in Romans chapter 5, we read, that Christ, that Christ came to undo what the first Adam did. You see, if Jesus Christ had been born like you and like me, he would have been a sinner. But God wants a Savior instead of a sinner. God's answer to break this inherited sin nature was to send a perfect, sinless man to undo what the first Adam did, whose blood was in the body of Jesus Christ, whose blood was flowing through the veins of Jesus Christ. Did you know that the bloodline, did you know that the blood type of a baby is not determined by the mother? It is determined by the father. It is determined by the father. The blood of God, according to scripture, circulated in the veins, circulated in the heart of Jesus Christ. You see, there must be an atonement atonement for our sins. No sinless sacrifice, no virgin birth, no God wrapped in the flesh, then there is no atonement for our sins. Jesus would have been a son of Adam, but instead Jesus Christ is the son of God. 
100% man, 100% God, God wrapped in the flesh, a divine mystery with a saving ministry. Now, everybody in here is the sum total of two parents. We are the sum total of two parents. There are so-called dominant and recessive characteristics passed on to us by our Father and passed to us by our Mother. And the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross came from God the Father and provides atonement and forgiveness for our sins. He was not the son of Adam. He was the son of God. And that's why Scripture says over and over again that it is the blood, it's the blood of Christ that makes the forgiveness of our sins possible. Now, the angel not only talked about the majesty of his birth and the saving ministry of his birth, but I want you to notice the last thing here. The angel also talked about the supreme majesty of his birth. The supreme majesty of his birth. And I want you to turn back to Luke chapter 1. And I want us to look one more time at verses 31 and 33. Luke chapter 1, 31 and 33. The angel said, You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus which is the Greek form of the word Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Did you know that Jesus Christ was reigning in heaven with God the Father from the very beginning of the world? This is what Scripture says. We're talking about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The Scripture teaches that he was with God the Father, co-creating heaven and earth, co-creating all of these things. He was there at the very foundations of the world, and he was uh, doing all of these things. Who is he? He's God. He was with God. He was with the Father in the beginning of time. Again, he is co-creator with God the Father. Helped through the night light bright sky up there, all of the Milky Way and all the universe. Jesus was there with God the Father when they created that. He was there when they created the foundations of the world and they laid, laid them out. He was there when they breathed in the nostrils of Adam and Eve. He is older than his mother. He is the cradle that rocked the world when the foundations of the world again was formed. Jesus was there. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 1 through 3, this is what Scripture says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the very beginning. God wrapped in the flesh. God's son who threw off his royal robes and stepped down the quarters of time as born a baby. Now, not everyone believes this. Not everyone believes this. Mormons don't believe this. Jehovah Witnesses don't believe this. Unitarians don't believe this. Liberal theologians don't believe this. But the Bible does not say that Jesus began with Mary in Jerusalem. He was older again than his mother, as old as God the Father. He is again the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and the answer to the world's problems. There is, there is a scene 
there is a scene in that book and in that movie by J.R.R. Tolkien. The Return of the King. He wrote The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, Twin Towers, and The Return of the King. And in that last book, that last movie that Peter Jackson made, Frodo and Sam Gagne are on the side of Mount Doom and everything is blowing up around them. There's lava all over the place and there's smoke and steam all around them. They're on this little island of rock and they're laying there, weary, tired, thinking that it's the end of the world. And it is at that particular moment, in the midst of all of that despair and and loneliness and discouragement, that Frodo is comforted by Sam Gagney, his best friend in the whole world. And what he does is, he gives him what I call the eternal perspective. And he does it in a roundabout way. And this is what he said in a very sweet and simple speech about the land they've left behind and all it represents the things we're fighting for. Do you remember the Shire, Mr. Frodo? It will be spring soon, and the orchards will be in blossom, and the birds will be nesting in the hazel thicket, and they'll be sowing the summer barley in the lower fields, and eating the first of the strawberries with cream. Do you remember the taste of the strawberries? Do you remember how sweet, how sweet it is, how sweet life can be when you have peace with God and when you have faith? Do you remember how sweet it is when your sins are forgiven? Do you remember how sweet it is to know that you have the hope of eternal life? There's the eternal perspective. Hope in the darkness, hope in the despair, hope in the face of sin, hope in the face of illness, hope in the face of trials, hope in the face of difficulties. We have no reason as God's people to give in to discouragement and despair. We have hope because we know who Jesus is. He is again the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He was pre-existent, older than time itself. He is the co-creator of heaven and earth and humanity and all creation of land and sea, all the plants and animals. He is. He is. We know what Jesus Christ did. He voluntarily stepped off his majestic throne he stepped down in the quarters of time and he was born as a baby. God completely wrapped in the flesh. 
with his father's atoning blood running through his veins and completely human, God wrapped in the flesh. He grew up and he set his face toward Jerusalem with his suntanned Galilean face and his carpenter hands. He taught a better way. He loved people. He loved me. He loved you. He taught about forgiveness. He taught about the kingdom of God. And he went to Jerusalem and he set his face toward the cross. And there he died. The most awful death. His atoning blood was shed for you and shed for me. But he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected from the dead. Defeating death. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Despair, discouragement, loneliness, feelings of helplessness, feelings as though that I don't have a purpose and I don't have a future and I don't have a hope. Every single stage Jesus has made a way for us, for our past. All those terrible and awful things that you've ever said, that you've often did, the Bible says that we can be forgiven of our past. Present power for our problems. How many of you don't have any problems? Present power for our problems. Every time I go down to Chester's, I hear people complain about their problems. I like to watch people. And I overhear conversations. I don't mean to. I just happen to overhear these conversations. And it's always about health and it has something to do with finances and it usually has something to do with the fact that they're not getting along with other people. And yet what does Scripture say? The same power that resurrected Christ from the dead is available to you and to me. Because of what Jesus Christ did, we have the power to face our problems. And my future is taken care of. My future is taken care of. Even if I face an impending death, even if I get stricken down with cancer, I have the hope of eternal life because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. This is what Scripture teaches about Christ. We believe what the Bible says. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together.